This week on Geeksplain, we're diving back into the world, or worlds, of Kingdom Hearts with Kingdom Hearts 2. just love that song <laughs> i love that song so much um getting to uh getting to play that game again and uh even just making this intro for this episode was oh brings back the feels even i would i would go as far to say that if you ever had any kind of connection to these games that the second that you hear this song uh, that being Sanctuary, the opening song for Kingdom Hearts 2, or even Simple and Clean, the uh, opening song from the game before, from Kingdom Hearts 1, it will invoke such uh, nostalgia for you, and it always does for me. So I, uh, that's part of the fun of putting this, uh, putting this series together, because even after I finish the game, I get to come back and hear that music one more time. But... Anyway, uh, with that out of the way, uh, welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we can explain it. I'm your host, Eric Gazana, and today's episode is the next installment. This is part three of our full Kingdom Hearts retrospective. Uh, we did Chain of Memories uh, last month, and we did the first Kingdom Hearts game back in July. It feels so long ago. Um, and you can look forward to a Kingdom Hearts episode the first week of every single month on our march to Kingdom Hearts 3. But today's episode is all about Kingdom Hearts 2. Uh, this is a favorite of mine. Uh, for those of you who don't know, as I've been doing these episodes, I've been replaying through all these games just so that uh, the little stuff is fresh in my mind. And also because this is probably if not uh the top video game series for me uh playing these games was a huge part of growing up for me and now we're looking at gosh uh what it'll be 13 years i think next year uh since kingdom hearts 2 came out and you know you find when you have something you're passionate about whether it's uh, a comic book character a video game a tv show you find that as you get older the series grows with you and this was kind of the first inkling for me that i was going to be growing with this series but this is for a lot of people the top game in the series this is the favorite this is the best uh on any given day this uh always kind of switches with another um another entry that's a little bit further down the line for me but uh on any given day this could be my favorite kingdom hearts game and 
after playing and platinuming this game, it was uh, it's it's hard not to put it at the top. Uh, but yeah, so we're gonna jump right into it. we're gonna jump into a little bit of background of the game, and then I'm gonna give you like the previous episode, uh, the story, the full story of the game. So there will be spoilers in this. Uh, if you haven't played the game, what are you doing? Go out and play it. Uh, but otherwise, stick around, check it out. Uh, we're also going to be talking about the Final Mix version of the game, just like there was a Final Mix for uh, Kingdom Hearts 1. There was a Kingdom Hearts 2 Final Mix as well. And then once we're all through with the Kingdom Hearts episode, uh, stick around at the very end for uh, this week's segment on This Week in Comics. So uh, I guess we'll go ahead and jump right into it. Um, we'll start with the background and the intro for Kingdom Hearts 2. Uh, Kingdom Hearts 2 is an action role-playing game originally released on the PlayStation 2. Uh, it's a direct sequel to Chain of Memories, and it began development in July of 2003. Uh, the biggest thing for this was that there were they wanted to make sure that this was a unique experience. Uh, they knocked it out of the park with Square Enix being they. Uh, knocked it out of the park with Kingdom Hearts 1. It was revolutionary for its time. And with Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories, they went a different route. They kind of took a sidestep. And that was not as well received, I would say, as the first game. Uh, the difference in game mechanics, the truncated story, the um, more original characters being brought into the lore of the game was a little, uh, I would say, um, it was divisive, for sure. So they needed to knock Kingdom Hearts 2 out of the park. They needed to make this the perfect blend of Kingdom Hearts 1 and Chain of Memories. And so going into development, they knew that they had a couple obstacles. That being, A, um, make sure that any of the fans who kind of lost interest after Chain of Memories come back. Uh, they also wanted to put more mickey mouse in the game we got a little bit of a tease of him in the first game and then he was a kind of a support character for riku in chain of memories so they really wanted to expand his role in this game but to do that they needed to get disney approval which eventually they did uh tatsuya nomura also wanted to make sure that kingdom hearts 2 was one year after kingdom hearts 1 and initially they they were planning on just leaving the year unexplained. They were gonna, weren't going to explain where Sora's been. They weren't going to explain what happened. And uh, Chain of Memories wasn't even thought up at this point. They were still in this mode of, we're just going to leave that maybe for something we can do down the line. But of course, later on, Nomura changed his mind. He decided he wanted to introduce a mechanic that would reset Sora so that when you start back at level one in this game you wouldn't be throwing away all of the progress you made in uh, the first game by uh, by kind of leaving a plot hole in that sense so Chain of Memories was created it was developed and they sent it out to be kind of the bridge between the first and the second games uh, they also wanted to rework the gameplay there were certain aspects of the first game that weren't very well received the gummy ship stuff was panned by pretty much everyone uh building your gummy ship is a fun like uh time sink but i can't find a single person who actually enjoyed 
the initial gummy missions in the first game and they completely reworked the gummy ships for kingdom hearts 2 so they made it more of like a uh a i i would say like a shooter kind of uh a rail shooter is what i would was trying to figure out to say uh more action-packed more uh bombastic but still kind of uh retaining the building your own gummy ship aspect and using these gummy routes to traverse between worlds uh they also made this uh they added a mechanic called the reaction command, which is basically uh, quick time events for us uh, laymans. And these reaction commands ranged from cool uh, matrix-like combo moves and battles to simply just you know opening chests. Uh, when they eventually decided to make final mix for uh kingdom hearts one they incorporated the reaction commands into that game to kind of bridge some of the mechanics uh, they also completely revamped the combat system completely new they started from the ground up they wanted to namura specifically in an interview said that he wanted to show the difference between kingdom hearts one sora and kingdom hearts two sora and that he's a year older he's a year wiser i guess and uh, his fighting and his combat is going to reflect the passage of time. So the uh, the new combat system is more showy, more flashy, and it's honestly it's more fluid. And I really I will take the Kingdom Hearts combat any day over pretty much any other uh, the Kingdom Hearts two combat that is uh, over pretty much any other game in the series. Um, they also. After the game came out, there were certain um, censorship issues, uh, namely with uh, certain blood, like when you fight the spoilers, uh, when you fight the Hydra in uh, Olympus Coliseum, they changed his blood from red in the Japanese version to like some weird green goop. Uh, in the international versions, uh, they fixed up some things when it came to like with Zigbar, who is who we will get into later uh, as a. Sh is a sharpshooter and there's a moment in his boss battle where you kind of look through his scope and it went from a traditional uh crosshair scope into something that's a little bit more i guess um uh what's the word i guess a bit more um ambiguous <laughs> uh even though it's still a gun so i'm not sure why they went that route but uh they also did a heavy amount of censorship to the uh, pirates of the caribbean world where um they re reworked scenes they uh reworked certain game mechanics for enemies just to make it more kid friendly uh so kingdom hearts 2 was announced at uh tokyo game show of 2003 with chain of memories and uh tetsuya nomura has stated that he regrets announcing it that early before they really had anything on the table which they didn't at the time so uh it wasn't until years later when the game came out and the game officially released on playstation 2 on december 22nd 2005 in japan and you had to wait until the next year where uh march 28th 2006 the game released in the united states and Oh, I feel so bad in retrospect thinking about this, but like 
the game released on September 28th, 2006, almost an entire year later from the Japanese version in uh, the EU and Australia. So that had to have been an agonizing wait. I mean, even back in 2006, we didn't really have all the social media and stuff that we have now. But still, like, ugh, I it was torture for me waiting just from December to March. So I can only imagine what it would be from uh, December all the way to September of next year. But with that, we wrap up the introduction to the game along with the background. So let's jump right into the story of Kingdom Hearts 2. Our story begins not with Sora, Donald, and Goofy, but with a boy named Roxas. Uh, this is the boy that was hinted at at the end of Chain of Memories as a resident of Twilight Town. And Roxas has been having strange dreams lately of a boy he doesn't recognize in worlds he's never been to. Of course, we know as the audience that this boy is Sora, and for some reason, Roxas is dreaming about Sora's adventures from the first game. Roxas is a normal kid living in Twilight Town, and Roxas, along with his friends Hainer, Pence, and Olette, live normal day-to-day -day lives, nothing like the extreme adventures that Sora went on in the past couple adventures. Though, something's been happening lately. People are having their belongings, specifically their photos, stolen from them. And as our story opens, the word photo completely disappears. No one can say it when they try to say it. No sound comes out. In investigating this crazy random happenstance, Roxas comes upon an old mansion and encounters these strange silver creatures. And these creatures refer to him as their liege, as if they know him and that they belong to him somehow. It's at this moment that Roxas is given the Keyblade, Sora's weapon, and he uses the Keyblade to fight off these strange creatures, though as soon as these creatures disappear, so does the Keyblade, and Roxas has no idea what's going on. Meanwhile, we cut back to a familiar setting, the Destiny Islands, where Kairi, along with her friend Selfie, are walking home from school. Kairi seems to have a memory, trying to remember the boy Riku that used to live on the islands. She asks Selfie about another boy, another boy that used to hang around with them as well, but Selfie doesn't remember. She only remembers Riku ever being friends with Kairi. This is, of course, as we know, due to the events of the previous game where everyone's memories of Sora were broken. Kairi makes her way down to the beach where we see that the Destiny Islands were just a small island in a group of other much larger islands. And as Kairi tries to remember this boy who no one else seems to remember, she reveals that she wrote him a letter. She puts the letter in a bottle and sends it off into the ocean. Now that bit's important, so make sure you remember that for later. Meanwhile, back in Twilight Town, Roxas and his friend Hainer are getting ready for the Struggle Tournament. In two days' time, this tournament will commence, and Struggle is basically <laughs> the residents of Twilight Town beating each other with what I hope are foam bats. And uh, it's 
the big sport in Twilight Town, and the reigning champion Setzer is going to be putting his title on the line. Now, while Roxas and Hayner will be entering the tournament, so will their rival Cypher, who, along with his own band of friends, is a constant source of pain for Roxas and company. But in preparing for this tournament, they decide that they want to go to the beach. They want a single day to relax and not worry about anything. So they spend the entire day doing odd jobs around town, collecting money and getting themselves enough money to not just get to the beach, but also to purchase pretzels and a watermelon. Unfortunately, as they get to the train station, Roxas is knocked down by a cloaked figure, a familiar cloaked figure, who unbeknownst to him, steals the pouch full of the money that they had all collected and disappears, with Hainer, Pence, and Olette telling Roxas that they had never seen this cloaked man and that Roxas just tripped himself. So unfortunately, they weren't able to go to the beach. And this puts a bit of a strain on Roxas and Hainer's friendship, going into the struggle tournament the next day. Now, Roxas fights his way not just through Hainer, but also through Cypher, as well as Cypher's friend Vivi, who's acting very strange. And after defeating Vivi, everything stops. Everything freezes around Roxas. No one knows what's going on. And unfortunately, the strange silver creatures that attacked Roxas before return. And they attack him again until Roxas is able to manifest the Keyblade and defeat them. It's at this point that Roxas encounters a familiar face, that being Axel, who somehow survived the events of Chain of Memories. Axel seems to know Roxas. He approaches him with a bit of a friendly candor and tries to tell him that everything that he knows is a lie and that he needs to come back with him. Roxas, not knowing what Axel's talking about, engages him in battle and is able to defeat him, forcing Diz to reveal himself. Now, if you remember, Diz made his appearance known back in Castle Oblivion and Chain of Memories to Riku and Mickey as someone who was pulling strings behind the scenes and seems to have a vendetta against the organization. Axel escapes and, without telling Roxas what's going on, Diz disappears. Roxas then goes on to defeat Setzer and win the entire tournament, winning the trophy, the championship belt, and the respect of Hainer and the rest of the town. The next day, Roxas is told by his friend Pence that Hainer, Olette, and others in the town wanted to figure out the weird things that were going on with Roxas and with the town itself. So they decide to spend the day doing their final homework assignment for the summer, which is to research the seven wonders of Twilight Town. And as they go through each wonder, they find that the wonders aren't quite what we what they think they are. They have a report of a moving bag at the top of a hill that runs on its own. But as they come to find out, it's just a dog. Also, they hear a strange moaning coming from the inside of the train tunnels and find that it's just Vivi practicing his struggle techniques. Though... As they leave each side of the Seven Wonders, something strange seems to happen. The dog from the bag seems to turn into one of those strange silver creatures and flies away. And so does Vivi back in the tunnel. Something is going on. Something's not right. 
But the final wonder is back at the top of the hill, where Pence tells everyone about the myth of the ghost train. There is a ghost train that seems to make its way to the station every single day at that specific time. There is no driver, there are no passengers. The ghost train just seems to come and go as it pleases. And Roxas seems to actually see the ghost train. Unfortunately, as he goes to find out what's up with it, he's held back by Hayner for some reason. And when he turns around, the ghost train is gone. And so is everyone's memory of the ghost train. So things are happening. Things are not quite right. Meanwhile, we find that Diz is actually monitoring everything, monitoring the entire events, along with the cloaked figure who stole the money from Roxas. And as they converse, they talk about everything that's going on with Roxas, they talk about the organization, they talk about something that's coming, as well as Roxas's role in the upcoming conflict. It's at this point that the hooded man reveals himself to be Ansem, Seeker of Darkness, the antagonist for not just the first game but also Riku's campaign from Chain of Memories. We don't know what he's doing there, but when he says his name's Ansem, Diz seems to laugh. He doesn't seem to believe him. But he takes it in stride, tells him he's welcome on the team, and continues about his monitoring of all of Roxas's adventures. It's during this time that Roxas also seems to have his own dive to the heart, just like Sora did in the first game. He finds himself running along these adorned, ornate platforms, fighting off these silver creatures with the Keyblade, until he comes across a large version of these silver creatures. This is known as the Twilight Thorn. And after defeating it, the Twilight Thorn collapses, covering Roxas in darkness. It's only when a hand reaches out to grab his that he is rescued and comes face to face with a young girl named Namine. That's right, the Namine from Chain of Memories. Namine ambiguously tells him to take care of himself and that not everything is as it seems. Roxas wakes up on the final day of his summer vacation to the strangest morning he's ever had. He goes down to the usual spot where Hainer, Pence, and Olette are waiting for him, but as he tries to interact with them, they don't seem to hear him. As soon as Roxas tries to pat his friend on the back to get his attention, his hand goes clear through him. And it's at this moment that Hainer, Pence, and Olette run out. Roxas has somehow become a ghost. He's not sure what's going on. He's terrified. He doesn't know what's happening. But he realizes that something is wrong. Something is very, very wrong. Roxas also encounters Axel, who at this point has been ordered to eliminate Roxas if he refuses to return. Diz, however, freezes Axel in his tracks, and Roxas is able to escape. With his world collapsing around him, Roxas heads to the old abandoned mansion near Twilight Town, and finds that he's able to finally access it with the Keyblade. He fights more of the strange silver creatures, and as he makes his way through the mansion, he comes upon an entirely white room. Most people will recognize this style of room from Chain of Memories. And it's here that Roxas finally sits down with Namine, and Namine reveals the truth to him. Namine informs Roxas that he is a nobody, and that he is a piece of Sora, 
the boy from his dreams. And in order to complete him, Roxas has to go and reunite with Sora. She also explains to him that he is not really living within Twilight Town, that the Twilight Town that he knows is a digital recreation, as is everything in it, including all the citizens of Twilight Town, as well as his friends. They're just data. Namine also reveals to him that there is an organization hunting him, Organization 13, and that this organization looks to use Roxas and his ability to wield the Keyblade to accomplish their own sinister goals, and that reuniting with Sora would be the best bet for all the worlds to stop the organization. Roxas, of course, expresses doubts. He doesn't want to disappear. He doesn't want to reunite with Sora and fade away into nothingness, but Namine reassures Roxas that reuniting with Sora would not cause him to disappear, but would in fact make Roxas whole. Unfortunately, their conversation is interrupted by Diz, who takes her away, but before he does, she promises him that they will meet again, even if they don't recognize each other. Desiring to meet Sora, Roxas makes his way through the mansion and begins to recall his former life, that he was actually part of this organization, that he could wield the Keyblade at will, and that he knew about his connection to Sora, that he had made a conscious decision to leave the organization to find Sora and to find out the truth behind his creation, as well as his purpose in the grand scheme of the world. He also remembers that he was attacked by a blindfolded young man with silver hair, and that he was defeated by this man, captured, and then brought to Diz. Diz then placed Roxas in the digital Twilight Town, where he has been for some time. Roxas comes to the control booth where we had previously seen Diz along with Ansem, and attacks, destroying the computers and further destroying what was left of his home. Making his way into the next room, Roxas encounters Axel one last time and tells Axel that he remembers, he remembers that when they were in the organization together, they were best friends. And for a moment, Axel expresses relief that his friend finally remembers him. But he also says that it's too late and attacks Roxas. However, at this moment, Roxas manifests both the Oblivion and Oathkeeper Keyblades revealing himself to be the figure from the post-credits scene of the original Kingdom Hearts, and the two do battle, with Roxas eventually coming out the victor. As Axel fades away, the two former best friends promise to see each other in the next life, though Axel chuckles and responds that only Roxas has a next life. He then disappears. Roxas moves on into another hallway where he seems to find pods containing Donald and Goofy, and as he moves into the final room in the basement of the mansion, he encounters Diz. Diz reveals his intentions that he had brought Roxas literally just to complete Sora, that he had been trying to complete Sora so that he could use him as a weapon against the organization, and unfortunately Roxas is nothing more than a tool to make that happen. Roxas, in a rage, attacks Diz, but Diz is just a digital image. Diz vanishes, and the pod in the center of the room opens. All of the anger that Roxas has felt drains away when he sees Sora slumbering within his pod. He's been there a while. 
Sadly smiling, he says to Sora, you're lucky. Looks like my summer vacation is over. And with that, Roxas accepts his fate and rejoins with his original self. As Sora slumbers, he hears Roxas call out to him, but Roxas fades away as Sora finally, finally wakes up. Whew, that's some heavy stuff. <laughs> the prologue always gets me. I always get really, uh, really sad. Um, but we are almost, what is it now? Almost 30 minutes into the episode and we just covered the prologue. So um, we'll dive back in. We'll keep going. So just wanted to do like a quick little uh, a save point, if you will, before we jump into the uh, the main story. So... Uh, here we go. Sora awakes in his pod alongside Donald and Goofy and finds that they don't quite know why they're there. Um, <laughs> the last thing they remember is chasing after Pluto on a, uh, on a field, and they don't know exactly what happened between then and now, but they know that some time has passed as Sora has grown significantly taller and his voice has changed as well. Jiminy tries to check his journal to see if there's some clue as to what has happened in the past year, but finds that it's completely blank, save for a note at the very end that says, Thank Naminé. They're not sure what that means, but they'll get to the bottom of it later. They leave the room with the pods and find themselves outside of a strange mansion on the outskirts of Twilight Town. As they make their way through Twilight Town, they run into Hainer, Pence, and Alette. And the three question what this strange boy who has never appeared in Twilight Town is doing there. But they connect the dots, thinking that, oh, they must have something to do with that other strange person. This one with the giant ears. And immediately, Donald and Goofy are like, the king! It's gotta be the king! So, Pence directs them to the train station, where... Pence says was the last place that he saw the king. As they head up, they're attacked by Heartless, and as they fight their way through, they find that they've got a little bit of ring rust. They aren't able to defeat all of the Heartless, but thankfully, King Mickey arrives and defeats the Heartless around them, giving them a familiar money pouch to help them along their way before sending them to the ghost train. That's right, the train has docked in the real Twilight Town's train station. And without another word, Mickey, who is dressed in a familiar black cloak, bounds off down the road, sending Sora, Donald, and Goofy to their next destination. They board the ghost train, but before they do, Hayner, Pence, and Alette catch up to them. They say that they wanted to see them off and that they didn't know why, but for some reason it seemed right. As they do, a tear rolls down Sora's face. He doesn't know where it's come from, he doesn't know why he's crying, but some part of him is sad. Sora then immediately jumps onto the ghost train and the three head off to wherever this train is leading. This train eventually docks outside of a mysterious tower, a tower that is trying to be broken into by Pete. That's right, big ol' Pete. <laughs> who seems to be in control of a certain batch of Heartless and are trying to break into the tower because the tower 
is owned by Yen Sid, the most powerful sorcerer in all the worlds. Pete wishes to use the, his Heartless to turn Yen Sid into a Heartless, and that as the prime lieutenant for Maleficent, he will use Yen Sid's Heartless to conquer all the worlds in Maleficent's name. And it's at that point that Sora, Donald, and Goofy catch Pete up on the fact that they defeated Maleficent already, and that that was over a year ago. And with that, Pete escapes as Sora, Donald, and Goofy make their way through the winding staircases of the tower to encounter Yen Sid. Yen Sid, who is completely unharmed because he is a total badass, informs Donald, Goofy, and Sora that much has changed, that though they sealed all the worlds off from each other, the worlds are still being plagued by the Heartless, as well as new creatures called Nobodies. Now a Nobody, as Yensid explains, is what happens to the body of someone when their heart becomes a Heartless. When their heart is consumed by darkness, that heart turns into a Heartless. But what happens to the body left behind? What happens to the shell? It becomes a Nobody, a being without a heart and a bit without the ability to feel. So Yen Sid tells Sora that these nobodies are being used by the organization, Organization 13, and that though they don't know exactly what the organization is up to, that they need to be stopped at all costs. To that end, Yen Sid, along with the good fairies Flora, Fauna, and Meriwether, gives Sora new clothes. These clothes have the ability to access what are called drive forms, giving him enhanced strength magical abilities as well as being able to combine the strength of him as well as Donald and Goofy to achieve power unlike anyone has ever seen. Yen Sid then brings up a brand new gummy ship for Sora, Donald, and Goofy to traverse the world and sends them on their way. Unfortunately, unbeknownst to Sora, Donald, and Goofy, a familiar raven appears within the tower, carrying within its beak an ominous black cloak. It's at this point that the good fairies unfortunately remember Maleficent. Now what this does is it activates an enchantment, a spell, a curse that Maleficent had casted in the event of her defeat. That as long as someone remembered her, she would always come back. Meanwhile, our trio happens upon Hollow Bastion, which seems to be under some kind of construction. It seems the citizens of Hollow Bastion have reclaimed their home and are trying to make it a better place, trying to restore it to its former glory. And it's here that Sora, Donald, and Goofy run into some old friends, Yuffie, Leon, Sid, Aerith, and Merlin, all of which happen to be part of the Hollow Bastion Restoration Committee. Leon comments that just a short time ago, everyone suddenly remembered Sora, Donald, and Goofy, hinting back to the effects of Chain of Memories, and that they need Sora, Donald, and Goofy's help. Leon shows them that a large army of Heartless is amassing outside of Hollow Bastion, and that they're not sure what's going on, but that they're going to need all the help they can get to repel this attacking force. Sora, of course, promises to aid Leon in anything that they need, but it's at this point that they are encountered by the organization. Men in black coats appear at the top of Hollow Bastion and claim to know Sora, claim to know his goals, and claim that no matter what Sora does, their goals will be met. 
one stays behind to taunt Sora, calling him Roxas. As they disappear, Sora pledges to Leon that he's going to help them in whatever they need, but that he also has to go and protect the other worlds as well. Leon wishes him luck, and as Sora opens up the gateway, opens up the keyhole that he sealed in Hollow Bastion in his previous adventure so that he can access the other worlds beyond. Sora, Donald, and Goofy then begin to make their way through various Disney worlds, both familiar and new, helping out Mulan in her battles with Shan Yu in the Land of Dragons, as well as arriving at Beast's castle, who assisted Sora back in Hollow Bastion. It's at this point that we start to realize the organization's influence is starting to seep into these worlds. Organization member Zaldin has been manipulating Beast into abandoning Bell in favor of protecting his enchanted rose. Once Sora and company are able to snap Beast out of it, he pledges that he will help Sora, Donald, and Goofy to defeat Zaldin in any way that he can. The trio then make their way to Olympus Coliseum, but somehow overshoot the landing, actually landing within the Underworld. As they make their way through the Underworld and back up to the Coliseum, they find that Hercules has been running himself ragged, fighting all manners of creatures that Hades has been sending to him. Sora, Donald, and Goofy then encounter Meg, who pleads with them to ask Hades to ease up on Herc. So they make their way through the underworld, and as they reach Hades, they find that Hades has conjured up yet another opponent for Hercules, this time with the intent to kill. Though this strange man who has appeared tells Hades that this is not his story. It's Orin's story. Orin then attacks Hades and escapes with Sora, Donald, and Goofy, pledging to help them, saying that he will be their guardian. They then find that Meg was attacked and taken hostage by Hades, so they venture further into the underworld to rescue her. Meanwhile, Hercules is fighting the Rock Titan, though he does promise to catch up to Sora and the gang once he's done. Deep in the underworld, they encounter another member of the organization named Demix, who is not even near as cool as Zaldin is. Demix seems very flighty, very nervous to be facing down Sora, though again calls him Roxas. After a scuffle, Demix escapes, and Sora, along with Orin, Donald, and Goofy, is able to rescue Meg with the help of Hercules. However, when they head back topside, they find that this was all a diversion for Hades to unleash the Hydra and destroy the Colosseum. Herc, who has lost his will to fight, has to be rescued by Sora as Sora goes and defeats the Hydra once and for all. Sora then reminds Herc that being a hero is more than just a building. The trio then leave Herc, Meg, Phil, and Pegasus to rebuild the Colosseum as they have other worlds that need their protection. They make their way to Disney Castle. That's right, Donald and Goofy are finally home, and encounter Minnie, the queen, and that something's wrong at the castle. They find that Heartless have overrun the castle, and that the cornerstone of light, which is the source of light in the Disney world, and that should be protecting their world from the darkness and the Heartless, has been consumed by darkness itself. They also find a strange silver door has appeared. Sora, Donald, and Goofy head through this door and find themselves in an old time. Everything is gone monochrome. 
everyone seems to be simpler, both in design and in mindset. Pete, even, seems to be just a simple boat captain, even though Sora, Donald, and Goofy believe him to be behind all of this. As they make their way through this world, they find that this was actually a door to the past, and that present-day Pete came back into the past and stole the Cornerstone of Light, causing all of the damage that's happening in present-day Disney Castle. They defeat present-day Pete with the help of past Pete and return the light to the Cornerstone, allowing Minnie and the Cornerstone of Light to expel darkness from their world. They also make their way to Atlantica, where they help Ariel defeat Ursula, as well as get together with a certain human prince named Eric. They move on to Halloween Town, along with its sister town, Christmas Town, and help Jack and Santa Claus defeat Oogie Boogie, who has returned to wreak havoc. They then make their way to Agrabah and find that Aladdin has been missing the genie since he set him free in the previous adventure. Thankfully, genie returns to Aladdin and promises to help not just Aladdin, but Sora, Donald, and Goofy with whatever they need. They then make their way to an unfamiliar setting, Port Royal, and encounter a pirate captain named Jack Sparrow. They help Jack Sparrow along with Elizabeth Swan and Will Turner to defeat Barbosa and the undead pirates of the Black Pearl, subsequently breaking the curse of the gold medallions and giving the Black Pearl back to Jack Sparrow. They then make their way to the Pride Lands and find that Simba, who helped them out in their previous adventure as a summon, is entangled in a bitter and Shakespearean civil war with his uncle Scar for leadership of not just the lions, but also for the soul of the Pride Lands. Sora is able to help Simba defeat Scar, as well as take his place as the King of the Lions. Meanwhile, back on Destiny Islands, Kairi is still reminiscing of the boy from her memory when she is encountered by Axel. Axel says that he can take her to the boy, whose name's Sora, and that he is the only one she can trust. Suddenly, Kairi is encountered by Pluto, the dog belonging to the royal family of the Disney castle, who leads her into another black portal that seems to pop her out at Twilight Town. Shortly after this, Sora, Donald, and Goofy also come to Twilight Town and find that the nobodies are attacking again. They rescue Cypher and his gang and are encountered by a new member of the organization, Syx. Sykes is in Twilight Town looking for Axel and tells Sora to be wary of him as he wants to turn Sora back into a Heartless. Sykes then opens a portal back to his world and as Sora contemplates running in after him, Sykes gives him an ominous message to not be reckless so that he doesn't end up like Riku. Sykes then disappears and it's at this point that Pence runs into Sora, Donald, and Goofy, asking if they know a someone named Kairi. They reconvene with Hainer and Olette back at the train station, and they tell the story that though Kairi had appeared in Twilight Town with Hainer, Pence, and Olette, she was quickly abducted by Axel, and that they don't know where she is now. Sora then resolves to find Kairi, but no sooner have they left Twilight Town than they get a distress call from Hollow Bastion. When Sora and the gang arrive, they find that Hollow Bastion is overrun with Heartless, and that the security system that was installed 
has ultimately failed. They are directed by Sid to go to Ansem's study in the old Hollow Bastion castle. So they make their way through just wave after wave of Heartless, making their way into Ansem's study. And there they find a large portrait of the man that they faced in their previous adventure, Ansem. They then find their way into a secret lab that's behind a wall. And unfortunately, through trying to mess with some of the controls in said lab, they are digitized and taken into a virtual world. And it's at this point that they meet Tron. That's right, they are officially meeting Tron. Tron says that the grid has been overrun by the MCP and his general, Sark and that they need to get out if they're going to fix the security system to repel the Heartless that have invaded Hollow Bastion. Tron helps them escape, and upon returning to Ansem's study, find that Mickey has arrived. Mickey, who is trying to keep his identity secret for some reason, citing that the organization is listening at any point, and that he doesn't want them to find him. But he reveals that the man that they faced in their last adventure, Ansem, isn't Ansem at all. Ansem was the wise old master of Hollow Bastion, and that the man that they faced was Ansem's assistant, Xehanort. Mickey reveals to the gang that Xehanort overthrew and banished Ansem, taking on his name in his crusade to use the Heartless to unlock Kingdom Hearts. They then tell Mickey the situation, and Mickey tells them to go back and help Tron lock down the system so that the security system can begin to take effect and begin to once again keep the Heartless out of Hollow Bastion. They return back to the grid and find themselves having to survive a light cycle chase before rescuing Tron and helping him to once again take control of the system, or at least the part of it that controls the security. So they're able to unlock the security system, which immediately begins to go to work, protecting the town below once again. But they're not quite out of the woods just yet. Upon returning to the real world, a rumbling is heard outside. As they make their way out, they find that the armies of Heartless that had been just on the edge of town have begun to move, and they are heading right for them. With the knowledge that no amount of security system is going to repel over a thousand Heartless, Sora, Donald, Goofy, and Mickey make their way towards the front lines. But before they can, they are encountered by Sephiroth, who is on the hunt looking for Cloud. He tells them that if they do find him, to send him his way, and that he'll be waiting for him. Meanwhile, underneath the castle, another cloaked figure, known as the Superior, or the leader of the organization, makes his way into an undisclosed location underneath the castle. He makes his way through what seems to be a prison of some sort, and upon entering the final room, sits down and begins to converse with an empty suit of armor, calling it his friend. 
Back outside, before the gang can make it to the front lines, Mickey tells Sora, Donald, and Goofy to leave. That just in case the Heartless break through and retake Hollow Bastion, that they aren't able to overwhelm and take the heart of Sora, thereby claiming the power of the Keyblade for darkness. Sora, Donald, and Goofy, however, run past Mickey, saying that they wouldn't miss this, and that they want to be on the front lines. They are met by Denix, who attacks them once again after suddenly finding some courage and combating them with his element of water. Sora, Donald, and Goofy are able to defeat Denix, but unfortunately, some crossfire between the battling Nobodies and Heartless causes a boulder to fly into the scene. Goofy pushes Mickey out of the way and takes the boulder head-on, seemingly killing him. Mickey flies into a rage, discarding his cloak and coming out into the light to face the organization. He runs off, followed by Donald, and Sora is left alone. He makes his way begrudgingly down to the battlefield, being assisted by Yuffie, Cloud, and Leon, and finally catches up to Mickey and Donald. Before heading out to face the droves of Heartless, however, Goofy returns, remarking that he's taken some pretty hard hits before. He joins Donald, Mickey, and Sora as they head out and face down the thousands and thousands of Heartless. Utilizing the Keyblade, Sora is able to defeat a thousand Heartless on his own, and is able to catch up to Mickey, Donald, and Goofy as they confront the mastermind behind all of this, the leader of the organization, Xemnas. Xemnas uses a portal to escape, followed in hot pursuit by Mickey, who jumps into the portal without a second thought. The portal closes behind him, cutting them off, as Saix reappears with a group of nobodies. Saix then reveals to Sora their goal, to recreate Kingdom Hearts. Their goal is to utilize Sora, defeating droves of Heartless, so that they can take the hearts that are freed from battling and use them to recreate Kingdom Hearts. That's right, the organization is using Sora to accomplish their goals. Sora immediately is disillusioned with his fight against the Heartless, because the more Heartless that he kills, the more hearts will go to the organization. So he is unsure of what to do next when all of a sudden Maleficent appears, destroying some of the nobodies and giving Goofy and Donald time to get Sora away from Hollow Bastion. Following this, after a crisis of faith on Sora's part, Donald and Goofy tell Sora that even though helping the organization is a bad thing, that leaving these worlds to the mercy of the Heartless and the Nobodies is worse. With that, they make another round, going back to the Land of Dragons, where they encounter another cloaked man. Mulan helps them fight this man, who brandishes a familiar-looking blade. The man escapes and heads towards the Emperor's palace, with Sora, Mulan, and the gang following close behind. They unfortunately have to contest with a giant, dragon-like Heartless, which they soundly defeat. When they make their way back into the Emperor's palace, the Emperor tells them that the cloaked man actually came to warn them of the Heartless's attack. Though he told the Emperor and General Shang not to worry, because three knuckleheads would be by soon to help fight the Heartless. Sora immediately keys in that this is Riku, that they found Riku, but that he isn't ready to show himself to them yet. 
They then make their way back to Port Royal, where they encounter yet another member of the organization named Luxord. Luxord, who is a gambling man, uses the cursed medallions to attract a Heartless, which Sora and company soundly defeat. They're able to return the casket of cursed medallions back into the ocean, hopefully never to be seen again. They then make their way back to the Olympus Coliseum, where they find that through freeing Meg in their previous adventure there, they unlocked the Underdrome, Hades' own version of the Colosseum in the Underworld. They also found that Orin has been bewitched by Hades, and that he is using his memories and grief from his past life to reign dominion over him, and force him to try and kill Hercules. They are able to break the spell, and through Hercules' help are able to defeat Hades once and for all. They then make their way back to Agrabah, where they find that the lamp that was containing the genie Jafar has been stolen, and that genie Jafar has returned. After battling the former vizier, they are able to seal him in the lamp once more and send it to where no one will be able to find it. They then make their way back to Halloween Town, where they find that someone or something has been stealing the presents from Santa's workshop. What they come to find out is that the thing that was stealing the presents is actually an experiment created by Dr. Finkelstein to try and replicate a heartless. Now this experiment, seeking a heart, went after Santa's presents because they bring joy and good memories to all. And after defeating the experiment, Sora is overcome with a memory of his own, dancing with Kyrie. They then move on to the Pride Lands, where they once again are able to help Simba out of the rut he's found himself in. He's being haunted by these heartless apparitions of Scar, and isn't able to effectively lead the lions in the Pride Land. Thankfully, Sora is able to buck him back up, and they defeat not just Scar's apparition, but also a giant heartless that threatens to destroy the Pride Lands themselves. Through all this, through all this, Sora has been collecting small, torn pages. You see, on their first visit to Hollow Bastion, Merlin found Winnie the Pooh's book, the book that Sora used to access the Hundred Acre Wood back in his first adventure. But unfortunately, because of the Heartless running rampant in Hollow Bastion at the time, they tore the book, and when Sora went back into the book to visit Pooh, Pooh seems to have forgotten not just about him, but about all of his friends. As Sora begins to collect the torn pages and put them back into the book, Winnie the Pooh begins to remember his friends one by one by one, but doesn't seem to remember Sora. Finally, they are able to reunite, and Pooh finally remembers Sora after thinking on it just a little bit. They then promise to never forget about each other for real this time, and Sora makes his way back out of the book, which has changed its appearance to reflect the new bond and promise made between Sora and Winnie the Pooh. Heading back to Hollow Bastion, they find that the security system that they had gotten back online in their previous adventure has gone haywire and has started attacking everyone that's not a Heartless. Also, the system has somehow begun to replicate Heartless within a factory of sorts. 
and upon reconvening with Leon in the secret lab behind Ansem's study, they find that the security system, the factory system, everything has been taken over by the MCP. The master control program is not a fan of what Sora, Donald, Goofy, and Tron were up to last time they went into the grid, and has taken control of everything when it comes to automation. They find their way back into the space paranoids, and before long are able to rescue Tron from where he is being held captive by the MCP. They make their way to the internal core of the MCP, where they have a showdown with not just the MCP, but also Sark, who has been supersized thanks to the MCP's machinations. They're able to defeat the MCP along with Sark and restore order to all of the systems in Hollow Bastion. It's at this point that Tron says a quick goodbye before jumping into the internal core himself and essentially becoming the new master control program. He sets the security system back how it's supposed to be. He shuts off the Heartless Making Factory and restores order to Hollow Bastion. And as this order is restored, everyone suddenly remembers the name of Hollow Bastion before it became this hellscape, before it became this haunted wound that has been left open by the Heartless. Hollow Bastion used to be called Radiant Garden, and so it will be again. The gang then gets a transmission from Pence telling them that they've found something they might want to check out. They head back to Twilight Town and come upon the old mansion, which seems to have opened itself back up. Within the old mansion, Pence, Hayner, and Olette have found the computer room, and upon entering the computer room, Sora seems to suddenly know what to do. They find themselves able to access the digital Twilight Town, and once they enter into it, Sora recognizes it immediately as Roxas's Twilight Town, despite not knowing anything about Roxas up to this point. Once in the digital Twilight Town, they find that there is a path, a gateway, a realm between that might take them to where the organization has been hiding. Getting through this path, though, they find that they are beset upon by hundreds of nobodies. It's at this point that Axel makes his reappearance and helps Sora defeat all the nobodies at the cost of his own life. He tells Sora that the reason that he wanted to turn Sora back into a Heartless was that so he could see Roxas again. Roxas was his best friend, and when Roxas merged back with Sora, he lost him. He hopes that he will see Roxas in the next life. And as he fades away, Sora makes a promise that he will defeat the organization, not just for himself, not just for the other worlds, but for Axel and Roxas. The gang then find themselves in the world that never was, a rainy, dystopic city with a bright white castle shining above it. They make their way through the city and find themselves at Memory's Skyscraper, where they are beset upon by a group of nobodies led by a mysterious cloaked boy bearing two keyblades, the Oathkeeper and the Oblivion. It's at that moment that Sora and this mysterious figure are transported to the 
platforms from both Sora and Roxas's dive to the heart. And it's here that they finally do battle. The figure questions why Diz chose him, but quickly realizes that it's because of the bonds that Sora has made, his friends. And as his confidence falters, Sora is able to surprise him and cut him down. The figure drops both keyblades, walks past Sora, his hood revealing Roxas. He turns to Sora and says, you make a good other, before everything goes white and Sora is transported back to the memory skyscraper. Upon asking Donald and Goofy what happened, they report that Sora just disappeared and that they had never seen this mysterious figure with the Keyblades, revealing to us, the audience, that this battle that Sora had with Roxas was for his heart and for the control going into the final confrontation with the organization. They make their way up into the castle and fairly quickly are attacked by Zigbar, who again calls Sora Roxas and taunts him. Sora, Donald, and Goofy are able to defeat Zigbar, and as Zigbar fades away, he reminds Sora that he used to give me that exact same look. Following this, Sora and the gang are reunited with Kairi, who is rescued by Namine, as well as what seems to be Riku. But as the cloaked man with Kairi pulls his hood down, he reveals the face of Xehanort's Heartless. Riku then reveals that in his initial battle with Roxas, Roxas defeated him, and so to defeat Roxas, Riku tapped into the darkness in his heart and became Ansem, the Seeker of Darkness, and that he has been unable to revert back to his original appearance. He has resigned himself to being one with the darkness and that he doesn't belong with Kairi and Sora. But Sora and Kairi tell him that he is their friend and that he will always be with them no matter what. Meanwhile, Mickey, who has also made his way into the castle, comes upon Diz, who is there with an ulterior motive. We find out that Diz is actually Ansem the Wise, that he was the one that Xehanort banished, and that he has been working his way back to get revenge on Xehanort this whole time. He reveals to Mickey that he has brought with him a digital encoder, and that he is going to use it to digitize the kingdom hearts that the organization has created. The two then head up and begin the process. Back with our gang, Luxord appears and engages Sora in a game of chance. Luxord's powers are based on the enchanted cards that he holds, and his ability to turn Sora into a card or even a piece of ice almost is too much for Sora, but Sora is able to best Luxord in his game and defeat him, with Luxord fading back into the darkness. Following this, Sora, Donald, and Goofy engage Saix, who has revealed himself to be almost a werewolf. He uses the power of the moon, aka the Kingdom Hearts that they have constructed, to fuel his rage and to power him up. Sora is able to finally defeat him, and it's revealed that Saix believed that Xemnas's goal with Kingdom Hearts was to give each organization member their own hearts back, and that he believed in the organization's goals just to the point of regaining his humanity. Saix then fades into the darkness, like all the others, leaving just one left. Following this, our gang reunites with Mickey and Ansem, who has realized that his machine isn't going to be able to digitize all of Kingdom Hearts. There's just too much to encode, 
and it's going to result in the machine exploding. Xemnas reappears and chastises Ansem for his naive belief that he could interfere in the organization's plans. However, Ansem tells him that the Keyblade wielders will defeat him once and for all. And with that, Xemnas escapes as Ansem's machine explodes, killing him, but also reverting Riku back to his original appearance. With Riku back in action and now wielding a new Keyblade of his own, the group makes their way to the top of the castle before they are confronted by an enormous amount of Heartless. Turns out that nearly destroying the Kingdom Hearts that the organization had constructed released all of the Hearts that they had collected, turning them back into Heartless, which have been invading the castle. It's at this point that unlikely allies appear as Maleficent and Pete tell the group that they will hold off the Heartless so that they can go and fight Xemnas. Though Maleficent tells them that this is for a different reason than trying to save all the worlds. She wants the castle for herself. We don't know what ends up happening to Maleficent and Pete, but we're pretty sure that they survive. And the unexpected help that they provide allows Sora, Donald, Goofy, Mickey, Riku, and Kairi to head to the top of the castle and confront Xemnas once and for all. Xemnas transports Sora to a mirage version of the memory skyscraper while they have a one-on-one -on -one duel. Sora defeats Xemnas, and as Xemnas pleads for more rage and more hearts, Sora tries to get Xemnas to remember that there's more to hearts than just rage and sadness. Xemnas, of course rebukes him and fades into darkness. However, Xemnas isn't done. Turns out that the Xemnas that Sora just fought was merely a copy and that their final battle with him is still yet to come. It's at this point that a familiar giant silver door appears. This door was the same door that Xehanort's Heartless tried to access Kingdom Hearts through. This is the door to darkness and this is the door to the final battle with Xemnas. Before engaging Xemnas, however, there are some loose ends that Sora and company need to tie up. So they head back to Hollow Bastion to confront Sephiroth, and after a lengthy duel between Sora and Sephiroth, Cloud appears, and they seemingly disappear after having one more duel. Tifa, who is a longtime friend of Cloud's, arrives and tells Sora that she'll keep looking for Cloud and that his battle with Sephiroth isn't over. It's soon after this that they get a distress call from Disney Castle. Chip and Dale, who are the chipmunk engineers for the royal family, have discovered a large portal in the Hall of the Cornerstone and have asked Sora and company to check it out. So Sora, Donald, and Goofy head back to Disney Castle and go through this portal and find themselves on a barren wasteland. They've never been there before, they don't know how they got there, they don't know where they are. But what they do know is that they're not alone. In this wasteland, they find what seems to be a man in a suit of armor clutching what looks to be a much larger keyblade. The man accuses Sora of being Xehanort and attacks him. And this, this is the greatest challenge that Sora has ever faced. And after an intense struggle, Sora defeats the silent attacker with the help of Donald and Goofy. Upon its loss, the figure known only as the Lingering Will senses a familiar light within Sora and kneels back down. 
Sora and company return to Disney Castle, telling Chip and Dale, along with Queen Minnie, that the lingering will is not a threat. Though Sora leaves the castle with more questions than answers. And at this time, Sora, Donald, and Goofy return to the door, ready to face Xemnas. If you have stuck around with us for this long, thank you so much for going on this journey with us. We are in the home stretch here, so let's do it. Sora, Riku, Donald, and Goofy make their way through the door and find that the city is crumbling beneath them. After making their way up into a new castle, they find that they are atop a dragon that has been created from Xemnas' will. They fight an armored Xemnas who doesn't seem to put up that much of a fight, and upon defeating him, the dragon crashes into the abyss below. A moment's reprieve is granted to our heroes as the castle in the world that never was, along with the world below, begins to crumble around them. It's here that we find out that Riku has truly changed for the better, as he is not able to open up a door to darkness to get them out of there. Unfortunately, that leaves our heroes stranded, until the ghostly figure of Namine opens up another door to darkness to allow everyone to leave. Goofy, Donald, and Mickey escape, along with Pluto. But before stepping through the portal themselves, Kyrie and Sora have a final conversation with Roxas and Namine. The two of them finally combined with their original selves, and promise to see each other whenever Sora and Kyrie are together. It's here that Kyrie promises that she and Sora will be together every single day. Namine finally merges with Kyrie, and Roxas does the same with Sora. Following this, Riku, Kyrie, and Sora make their way to the portal to finally go home. But unfortunately, as soon as Kyrie makes it through the portal, it disappears as the castle crumbles beneath them and they find that the dragon is still alive. And so is Xemnas. Riku and Sora board a nearby transport and are able to defeat the dragon in combat, destroying it once and for all. And as they do, they are pulled into another realm. We have the realm of light, we have the realm of darkness. Xemnas, in his final gambit, has pulled Sora and Riku into the realm of nothingness for one last showdown. Sora and Riku are able to work together to defeat Xemnas, and at a certain point in the duel, Riku even saves a captive Sora from Xemnas' clutches. This results in the final sequence where Riku and Sora have to deflect like a billion lasers, like a hundred billion lasers, in the most epic moment in the entire series of the game. You can quote me on that. They are able to finally, finally defeat Xemnas once and for all, and as he fades into nothingness, Sora and Riku find themselves stranded in the realm of darkness. Back on the beach, where initially Xemnas had returned to after dueling with Sora in the original Kingdom Hearts game, they find themselves Injured, battered, broken, and with no way home. Sora and Riku seem to commit to living in the realm of darkness, and it seems that once again, just like in the first game, our story will be ending with our two heroes stranded, not able to get home again. But, it's 
not how it goes down. A bottle washes up on the shore with a letter addressed to Sora. This is the letter that Kyrie sent at the beginning of our story, and it's finally somehow made its way to the realm of darkness to Sora. And the letter reads as thus. Thinking of you wherever you are, we pray for our sorrows to end and hope that our hearts will blend. Now I will step forward to realize this wish. And who knows, starting a new journey may not be so hard, or maybe it has already begun. There are many worlds, but they share the same sky, one sky, one destiny. And with that, a door to light opens in front of Sora and Riku. Sora promises that he and Riku will go together, and the two friends make their way into the door of light, and finally go home together. Apparently, this door to the light acted like a cannon and shot Riku and Sora back down into Destiny Islands. They drop down from the sky into the water, and as they come back up to the surface, they're met by Mickey, Donald, and Goofy. The five friends embrace before Sora finally comes up to the shoreline, and waiting for him there is the person most special to him, his lightning rod, the one person who could always bring him home, Kyrie. They share a tender moment where we can see that Naminé and Roxas are still there and that they will be always with Sora and Kairi. Sora says, we're back, in a nonchalant way as he always does, and Kairi, extending her hand to welcome him, says, you're home. And that is it. That is the story of Kingdom Hearts 2. We do have a couple post credit scenes, which I'll get into right now. Uh, following the credits, Sora is kind of having a moment with Riku talking about everything that they've been through, and Riku tells Sora that the strength of his heart is what got them through, when Kairi runs up to them, showing that she has a letter from the king. Just like in the first game, Mickey is roping them back into one more adventure. So Sora opens the letter and begins to read as... Riku and Kairi crowd around him to also see what's going on, knowing that no matter what the next step is in their adventure, they take that next step together. Conversely, there is another post credit scene that seems to be from a different time, seems to be in a different place. We see a familiar figure, the Lingering Will, standing in what looks to be a Keyblade graveyard. Two other armored people walk up and join him, each of them taking a keyblade, when off in the distance a figure approaches. This figure turns out to be an old man who is flanked by a figure dressed similarly to how Riku was when he was taken over by Xehanort's Heartless, the old man who is also dressed as Xehanort's Heartless was, attacks the three armored keyblade wielders a ridiculously cool scene unfolds where the three armored keyblade wielders fight this old man as well as his apprentice and we soon see that one of the armored keyblade wielders seems to be roxas a familiar face in this 
unfamiliar setting. The third of the Keyblade wielders seems to be a woman with blue hair who rescues this Roxas lookalike after the old man freezes him. And it's at this point that the old man begins to lift the ground towards what looks to be Kingdom Hearts. And as the Lingering Will pulls his helmet off, we see someone who looks a little familiar. We see someone who looks sort of like Xemnas, except with brown hair. And as the orchestra swells, as everything seems to be coming to a head, the man who is wearing the Lingering Will's armor's eyes turn auburn, which at this point has been the color of Xehanort's eyes. In a little post credit scene from that, we see that Mickey Mouse has arrived on the battlefield holding the Starseeker Keyblade. So this is teasing something a little bit down the line. We're a couple games away from that, but the whole scene wraps up with a tagline that says, It all began with birth by sleep. So that's it. <laughs> we are, let me see here. We are an hour and 16 minutes into this episode. This is a long one. Uh, I kind of knew playing through the game and then doing my notes that this was going to be one of the uh, one of the longer episodes just because there's so much in this story. But um, thank you for keeping with me throughout this whole thing. Uh, we're going to jump real quick over to a couple loose ends here. I'm turning the pages from my new... Uh, podcast journal that my wonderful girlfriend got for me for my birthday. She got me a set of three volumes that I can put notes into my heart's content. Um, so real quick, we're just going to touch on the final mix of uh, Kingdom Hearts 2, which did uh, come out a little bit later on. Uh, it is just like the first final mix of Kingdom Hearts 1, an extended version that was originally only in Japan, though it did see a release with the uh, 2.5 remix on PlayStation 3 and later as the bundle with the 1.5 and 2.5 on PlayStation 4. Uh, this extended edition did feature new bosses, uh, such as the Mushroom 13, which was uh, 13 groups of uh, Organization 13 inspired mushrooms that each have their own challenges. Uh, you also got to actually fight Roxas in the um, in the cutscene at the Memory Skyscraper. Originally in the uh, the original version of Kingdom Hearts 2, the battle with Roxas for uh, for Sora's heart was only a cutscene. Whereas in Final Mix and later in 2.5 Remix, you actually get to fight Roxas, and it's a pretty freaking cool boss fight. Uh, Along with that, you get to see the absent silhouettes, which are basically boss fights with all of the organization members from the Chain of Memories game, which was super cool, because you get to see all of these new mechanics with characters who you really didn't get to see as much as I think you could have in Chain of Memories. Zexion, you didn't even get to see what his weapon was, which ended up in being revealed in Final Mix as his book, The Lexicon. Uh, and these absent silhouettes, once you defeat all of them, as well as defeating the game the first time around, unlocks the data battles, which are uh, just data versions of each organization member, including Roxas, that you can fight after traversing the Cavern of Remembrance, which contains the most disgusting uh, encounters with Heartless and Nobodies in the entire game. 
uh, once you make your way through Cabinet of Remembrance, you come up to the um, the Hall of Remembrance, and once you beat all of the uh, and once you beat your way through the Cavern of Remembrance, the Hall of Remembrance unlocks itself and you're able to do battle with all the data versions of the organization. This version also introduced us to the Lingering Will, which is the hardest boss in the entire uh, Kingdom Hearts 2 game. He is ridiculous. He is amazing. The <laughs> uh, I was really dreading the fight coming up to it, but once I got into it, I was enjoying every single second of it. It took me more tries than I like to admit, but every time I died, I just I just was in awe of this character, so I really enjoyed it. Uh, this version also, also introduced a critical mode, which uh, is like the super hard mode. Uh, it introduced a new drive form called the limit form, which... Uh, doesn't use up any of your allies, but gives you all of the limit abilities from the first Kingdom Hearts game, and also recolors uh, Sora's clothes to look like his clothes from the first game, which I thought was really cool. Uh, the game also introduces new weapons, such as keyblades, um, shields and staffs, uh, as along with costumes, a new Christmas Town costume for uh, Sorna, Donald, and Goofy, new accessories, new abilities, uh, as well as some new cutscenes as well. These cutscenes are mostly just kind of fleshing out and going in-depth with the organization while they're behind the scenes. Uh, it also expanded upon the Roxas vs. Riku fights as well as kind of hinting at that Xemnas had ulterior motives. The whole scene with uh, Xemnas walking into the underground prison under Hollow Bastion and talking with his quote-unquote friend uh, was, a th was a thing that was added into this version and really didn't get a payoff until a later game down the line, which we'll get to. Um, it also expanded the post credit scene the original uh post credit scene for kingdom hearts 2 was just uh it was called the gathering which saw the three armored keyblade wielders kind of gather in the keyblade graveyard and kind of cut off with the mysterious figure coming in at the end and then the final mix slash 2.5 brought in the birth by sleep expansion to that which detailed the battle and everything that comes in with that so that is uh, that is this week's episode on Kingdom Hearts 2. Thank you very much uh, for sticking out with us. We are now at an hour and 20 minutes. Uh, I'm really excited. I love this game. I had such a blast playing through it again. Uh, the gummy missions, I will say, I still cannot stand, and I just I don't think I'll be able to ever like them. Uh, we'll see how the gummy missions are in Kingdom Hearts 3. But um, yeah, that's, uh, that's it for this one. Uh, stick around for this week in comics after the jump. And I just want to say thank you so much for uh, really supporting this series that we've been doing. I've been having a blast. And apparently you guys have been really enjoying it too. My, uh, the previous episode on Chain of Memories is now my third most listened to episode. Um, that's all thanks to you guys. You guys are killing it with the uh, the support and the listens, and I'm really appreciating it. And it's keeping me uh, kind of keeping my morale up with these games and getting me to keep making these episodes so that I can keep sending them out to you guys. So again, thank you so much. I love this game series and. Uh, I will see you guys again next month for, um, what is the next game? I'll check my notes. Uh, oh, it is Kingdom Hearts 
358 Days Over 2, the most ridiculous name in the entire series, uh, where we're going to see some uh we're gonna flesh out some backstory for roxas uh roxas is one of my favorite characters in the whole series so i was immediately keyed in on this game and i will check in with you guys again at the end of that so yeah kingdom hearts 2 so for this week's uh geek explained this week in comics uh, i'm gonna just power through them uh we're almost to an hour and a half this is one of my longest episodes ever so uh, i'm gonna jump right into it uh batman number 54 written by tom king with art by lee weeks and matt wagner uh this is kind of continuing off of the uh post-wedding storylines uh we're finally getting our dynamic duo back together so uh dick grayson nightwing is finally reuniting with batman and they're gonna be doing some shenanigans fighting some crime and doing some stuff they're gonna i'm just really excited i'm i love dick grayson and bruce wayne together whether they're batman and robin whether they're nightwing and batman whether they're batman and batman so i am really really looking forward to this second up is justice league number seven uh written by james tynan the fourth with scott snyder with art by doug monkey mark morales and jim chung uh, this is kind of the next step in the escalating first arc of uh, Scott Snyder's Justice League. Everything is kind of going to crap on Earth, so um, we're, it's promising uh, Hawkgirl versus Lex Luthor, Jon Stewart versus Sinestro, The Flash is going to fight uh, Gorilla Grodd, who's being empowered by the Still Force right now. Uh, so yeah, it's bombastic, it's huge, it's Justice League goodness, and I'm, I've really been enjoying uh scott snyder's run on it so far i think at this point scott snyder for me at least can do no wrong so i am looking forward to another great issue of justice league and going from one team to another next up is avengers number seven by uh written by jason aaron with art by ed mcginnis uh this is an interesting one i think this is kind of going to be our interlude between the uh the the opening arc for avengers and the next one this promises to be kind of a uh, a focus on the ghost rider of 1 million bc so they've been really pushing this idea of the avengers 1 million bc talking about like uh odin in his prime with like the first host of the phoenix the first ghost rider the first iron fist the first star brand all of these the first black panther all of these characters who i'm interested to see what happens next with them uh and it looks like it this might be kind of the uh the schedule with them like they're going to do an arc then they're going to have an issue focusing on one of the prehistoric avengers then they're going to do their next arc and so on and so forth so i'm looking forward to this i've been really enjoying it uh edmund's art is starting to grow on me slowly so um i'm i'm looking forward to seeing what new lore jason aaron brings to this and alongside that, one of my favorite characters is back, uh, Captain America number three, written by Ta-Nehisi Coates with art by Lionel Francis Yu and covers by Alex Ross. I have been really enjoying kind of the slow burn storytelling of uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates so far in the first two issues. Uh, we haven't really gotten to the bottom of where uh, this arc is kind of going to go, but I'm enjoying the character interactions. I'm enjoying the self-reflection 
I'm really just I'm really enjoying uh, Coates's voice for Captain America so far. Uh, I really enjoyed Mark Wade's run, and I am looking forward to hopefully liking this as much as that. Uh, Little Francis Yu's art is spectacular as always, and this one is kind of uh, this promises to be kind of a team up issue between uh, Cap and Black Panther. So really looking forward to that. And wrapping up the list right here is Thanos Legacy number one. So uh, Thanos Legacy number one is going to be written by uh, Donnie Cates and Jerry Dugan with art by Brian Level, Corey Smith, and a cover by Jeff Shaw. So uh, this is interesting. This is kind of out of a left field pick for me. Uh, I'm more interested in this just for the curiosity of it because uh, this... The last time that Donny Cates was writing Thanos, he had just finished killing off his future self in this dystopic, like, hundred or thousand years in the future deal. And uh, that was the last time we saw Thanos. And then the next time we see Thanos is at the beginning of Infinity Wars, where, spoiler alert, uh, he gets killed by Requiem, who we later find out to be Gamora. So this series is supposed to bridge the gap between... Uh, the end of Donny Cates' run and his death. We also have recently seen Thanos in Hell with uh, with Hela in the uh, Jason Aaron Than or uh, Jason Aaron Thor book, which again, always amazing. Uh, and it's interesting. I didn't think about it why he was in Hell in the first place, but it's I I think that's pretty cool that they're all working together to tie the story up. So. Um, this is uh, going to be, looks like the story of how Thanos got back from the future and everything that kind of entails with that. So that is uh, This Week in Comics. Again, I'll run, do a quick recap. Uh, Batman number 54, Justice League number 7, Avengers number 7, Captain America number 3, and Thanos Legacy number 1. If I missed anything, please let me know. I love finding new comics, and I love just hearing from you guys. Let me know what you are picking up this week and uh, what books you are kind of on the fence about and what books that I like that you might not like. Uh, let's get the conversation going. Let's start talking. I love talking about all kinds of nerdy things with all kinds of people. But uh, that'll do it for this week. I'll wrap it up. We're about to hit an hour and a half on the dot. So, um, yeah. So I'll go ahead and wrap this up here. We'll see you next week. Uh, a lot of good stuff is coming out in the next couple days. Um, Spider-Man on PS4 is coming out. Uh, season 2 of Iron Fist I'm actually looking forward to. So look forward to reviews on both of those. And for Geeksplain, this is Eric Gazana. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. What's love?